The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. My name is Justin. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City Church. Uh, I welcome you here this morning. It's been quite the morning already. I'm excited to get going here. Um, my parents did what great grandparents, or what really good grandparents, I don't want to say great grandparents, but really good great grandparents do. And they took my son to the movies last night, filled him full of popcorn and pop, sent him home with me. And he woke up this morning in a pile of his vomit. It's awesome. So it's been a great morning. Adventurous. I'm sure some of you had those mornings too. It's Sunday. Everything that kind of can go wrong sometimes does go wrong on the way to church. So I'm glad you're here, though, and uh, we're going get, to get going this morning. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you um, that you fulfill every desire that we have, that you came down and you rescued us. And that is good news for a people who need to be rescued. You didn't rescue us. You didn't come down and love us because we're good enough, because we have great gifts that you needed, or because... You wanted something from us. Who is man that we can give anything to you? But you came because you are merciful and you are a gracious God and you wanted to set your love upon us. And that, Father, is the greatest feeling any of us could ever feel, a gracious, undeserved love. And I ask that you would give me uh, words to speak this morning, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that you would use this instrument today Um, that you would anoint the ears in the crowd to hear in your body, to to hear, to be edified, to be built up, to be sent out. And this would be all for your glory, for your fame, for your name, and for our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're currently working through what we're calling Sacred City DNA. We've only got two more weeks left of this, and then we're going to jump into the book of Genesis and spend a long time in the book of Genesis. Um, I'm really encouraged. I'm excited to start Genesis. Um, For some of you who have... Uh, maybe you're not familiar with um, the Bible. Genesis is a narrative, so it's filled with a lot of stories. So we're going to be preaching kind of story after story after story and seeing just what God has to say um, to us and about himself and what he's done in the plan of redemption through the book of Genesis. So we're really, I'm really excited to get going there in, a couple, in three weeks. But today, we're just going to continue on uh, kind of giving, uh, giving you the DNA of what makes our church uh, distinct. What makes our church a little different? Uh, we're currently studying, and what we say is we're studying the work that God has done through Christ to make us into a people who worship Him in spirit and truth. So we're actually studying the work He's done and who He's made us into. We're not really discuss, you know, we're not really discussing this week and the last three weeks about what we need to go and do. Uh, Jesus said that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And therefore, none of us can worship God rightly apart from his gracious action toward us. We can respond rightly because he's moved on us. He's given us that ability. He's opened our eyes and opened our ears so that we can respond rightly. Those gracious actions are most clearly seen in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the true Son of God, was rejected so that we could be accepted into the family of God. Through, through Jesus' sacrifice, we can now have God as our Father and the, and the brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. 
So a large part of who we are, we say, we basically have four identities we talk about a lot at Sacred City. A large part of who we are is family. We are children of God who live and care for each other as family. We spent a whole week talking about that. But Jesus was also the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He was sent by God to initiate his kingdom, to live the life that all of us fail to live on a daily basis, and to fill us with his spirit in order to bring us back into right relationship with God. Jesus was not just the greatest missionary, but he was our missionary sent to redeem us and save us and then send us out as missionaries. So that's another large part of who we are. As Christians, we are sent by God to restore all things to himself. We spent a whole week talking about what does it mean that God has made us into missionaries? What does it look like to be missionaries in our context where God has sent us to be? And Jesus was also the only man on the, ever to walk the planet Earth who was truly worthy of worship. But instead of demanding that worship, Jesus came as a humble servant, washed feet, healed the sick, and laid his life down for a ransom for sinners. This means that those who have Christ as their Savior are servants of God and now serve others as a way of life. Very challenging to us, very convicting to us, very countercultural to us is to, to go out and to lay your life down for your neighbor, lay your life down for someone else other than yourself. But God has made us into family, into missionaries, and into servants. We say we're a family of missionary servants sent by God to renew all things for the glory of God, or more directly, to renew our city for the glory of God. We believe we're called. To, to see a better city, to bless the city, not just to build a gathering on Sunday morning. And today we're going to discuss the last part of that identity, and we call it learners. And it kind of wraps up a little bit of everything. You could call it disciples, but I didn't want to call it disciples because we all have this preconceived notion, I think, of what we think a disciple is. So we use the word learner to describe the last part of our identity. And that just simply is this. We are disciples of Jesus who take responsibility for our development and the development of others. We are disciples of Jesus who take responsibility for our development and also the development of others. One of the greatest joys of my life is to watch people fall in love with Jesus and the gospel and see them set on fire as learners. This is something that the Spirit of God likes to do in people. He likes to kindle a fire for knowing Him for studying about him, for reading about him, and for worshiping him. Did you know that knowing God is not some stoic or static place that takes place in a library or or in an office or, or even in your quiet time? Those things aid, those things can help, but that's not where, knowing God is not this static place. It's much more like a pursuit. It's much more like a relationship. So I'm going to ask you today, do you want to grow in God? Do you have a desire to know Him deeper than you do right now? And that's a lot different than saying, do you want a better life? Do you want things fixed? Do you want Him to fix your kids? Do you want Him to take care of your finances? Do you want Him to heal your body? Do you want Him? It's a lot different. I know we all want Him to do stuff. We all do. It's not necessarily bad. 
But do you have a desire to know him? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you do, that is the Spirit of God working in you and stirring you up and giving you a spiritual thirst for God and the things of God. And personally, that, that excites me. When that, there's millions, maybe not millions, maybe I'm exaggerating, there's thousands of churches all across the world where people sit there with no spiritual thirst, no angst, no desire, no kind of pressure feeling, I need to know God in a more intimate way and I have a desire to know Him. There's thousands that sit idly and come in and read the bulletin and sing a few songs and take communion and walk out completely the same. Over and over and over they do it. That's incredibly boring for me, number one. But it's just, it's empty. And when I see people coming to, like last week, we got to baptize five Believers was thrilling. It was just so good for my soul. When I get to see that kind of stuff, that I I know that God's at work. I know no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So I know the Spirit of God is here in the Quad Cities, at Sacred City, moving amongst people, regenerating their hearts and giving them desire to know God. And that thrills me. That excites me. That motivates me. But one thing I want to do right away is I want to make a clear distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about God and knowing God. Now, one thing, I'm making a distinction, but I don't want to make a dichotomy. I'm not saying uh, to really know God means you don't know about God. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? But I want to, to make a clear distinction here about knowing about God and knowing God personally. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.8 that there's this type of knowledge that is purely intellectual and it puffs up a man. That comes from reading all the right books and taking all the right classes. I believe that this is like static knowledge. Something I just, I read the right things and I, I put the right facts into my brain. It's like my son right now. We do catechism every night before he goes to bed and I ask him questions and he responds back to me and I ask him big questions, you know. Well, you know, who made the world? Who made you? What happened to Adam and Eve? What's your purpose? I ask him all these big questions and he can give me the answers, but he doesn't get it. Now I'm praying when he's a little older and his mind is intellectual, you know, skills are built up and his critical thinking skills are built up, that he's got this ammunition stored so that he can build upon it. He's got this foundation so he can build upon it. But right now he's more like a parrot. All right. I could teach a parrot to systematic theology. Right? I could teach a parrot the doctrine of sin and he will repeat it right back to me. But that parrot does not know God. He knows about God, but does not know God. Once a person, see this type of knowledge, once a person attains it, they think they've got it. And this is what happens. This is how you know you're knowing facts about God and not knowing God personally. Because when you gain this type of knowledge, you start looking down on others who don't have it. Once people start studying the doctrine of salvation, they've been to so many just churches growing up and they just come say, you know, come get saved and they don't really know what that really means and they, they think they do it and it's just one, they choose one time and then they go out and live the life they want to live and they don't really understand what God's been doing 
in predestining them and drawing them and electing them and calling them and giving them a new spirit and then, and then justifying them and adopting them and then sanctifying them and then glorifying them in the future. They don't know all the stuff that goes into it. It's, it's tempting when a person, when their eyes get awo- awake, awakened to that. There we go. Awoken? I don't know. Awakened to that. It's really tempting all of a sudden to get all this new knowledge, right? Or, or reformed theology. You get all this brilliant knowledge. You, you see just the gloriousness of what God has done through Christ. And then you start looking down on other churches who don't get it. Or other people who don't get it. This, Paul says, is knowledge that puffs up. This type of knowledge actually tries to keep God in some nice, neat little box where he becomes safe and comfortable and we can actually kind of control him. But then there's another type of knowledge. One that actually leads to knowing God rather than just knowing about him. And this knowledge humbles a person. When a person begins to know God, they begin to know their own sin as well. When they come to know the holy, true, righteous God, they begin to see how dark and how sinful and how depraved they actually are. I'm so much not like him. They don't see their knowledge as a weapon to use against others. Rather, this knowledge becomes a great weapon to which they can fight their own remaining sin. This type, is, I'm just going to call it true knowledge, this types of true knowledge leads to a love for God and a love for others and only flows out of a heart that is truly known by God. Listen, I want you to hear that. This type of knowledge only flows out of a heart that is truly known by God. What do I mean by that? You, you know some people know you and then some people really know you. There's the version of yourself that you like to wrap up and present, right? The educated, the clean, the I have my emotions under control. I am reserved. I'm intellectual. Whatever you want to lay out there for people, there's that you that you, you know, you dream about at night and you dress and you form all, you're trying to shape people's opinion of you. There's that. And then there's the real you that comes out when it hits the fan, Right? And that is the real you. There's the you that your mama knows, right? Your dad knows. There's the you that your siblings know. There's the you that your spouse knows. The real you. Now listen, what I'm trying to say is I believe that we can present that wannabe you, that wannabe us, we can present that to God. And we can come to God with that wannabe self And when we're doing that, we're not truly giving him who we are. We're not truly being known by God. And we'll never truly experience the love of God doing that. You're performing. I like to say you're dancing for your dinner. Right? You're giving him the best version of yourself and saying, Isn't this worthy? Isn't this good enough? Don't you like this person? And that... Anytime you try to obey, anytime you try to live the Christian life out of that, you're trying to perform. You're not just reacting out of a heart that's been known, fully known by the Father. But I think, we, so I, I think we're going we're gonna to go to Scripture. I think we can get a glimpse of what I'm talking about here, this glimpse of knowledge, this, this true type of knowledge. 
Uh, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' so-called Great Commission. Let's turn it to Matthew 28. If you've got your Bible, if not, there's Bibles on the stool right back there. Uh, I really want us all to get in the habit of bringing our Bible. We also have our, all of our liturgy on uversion.com or on uversion on the, your Bible app on your phone or iPad or, or um, Android device that you can check out. Just search Sacred City Church. Matthew 28, verse 18. And when you're there, say there. All right. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Somebody say go. Therefore, and make disciples. Somebody say make. All right. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, I want, to see, I want you to see this specific type of knowledge. Listen, Jesus is very detailed. He never misspeaks. He doesn't use words inappropriately. When he chooses words, he chooses them very exactly. And he doesn't say, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them. He says, I want you to go do all that, teaching them to observe. Teaching them, in other words, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you to do. Not just teaching them. Not just giving the appropriate intellectual knowledge so they can intellectually assent and then go home and be the exact same person they were before they walked into the building. Jesus is saying, there is a type of knowledge that I want you to present. There's a type of discipleship. There's a type of learning that I want you to teach them how to obey, how this really functionally works, how this lives out. This is a knowledge that changes your life. Not just a knowledge that you say, yes, okay, check it off on a test. This is more than just teaching them intellectual truths, more than just doctrine, we're to teach them how to obey. Now listen, um, we've got some doctors in here. There's a reason why, if you want to be a doctor, you don't just go to med school and they slap you on the back and say, go get them, boy. Right? Here's a scalpel, have fun. You read it in a book, right? Just go do it. There's a reason they spend years in residency. There's a reason they've got other trained professionals watching over them as they practice. I mean, that's a little scary, but, right? There's a reason they do that. Why? Because there's an intellectual knowledge and then there's an experiential knowledge that's different. What I believe is that the church has been majoring in intellectual knowledge and there's very little experiential knowledge. There's very, real, there's very little real hands-on training on how to go make disciples who make disciples. It's just, oh, okay, I know God. Okay, I love God. Okay, he's really nice and gracious to me. Thanks. There's no nitty-gritty, get your hands dirty, what does discipleship look like? So I want you to hear what, what I'm saying this morning because this is, a, this is a large part of who we are as Sacred City Church. I am, and, and I want you also to hear that I, I, 
I naturally resist this. So for those of you who are out there who are like, ooh, where's he going? I'm with you, okay? I'm naturally an introvert. I like to be alone. I like to be surrounded by heavy leather-bound books, okay? I believe that this is how God wired me when he made me, and this is how God kind of rewired me when he saved me as well. Because uh, before I became a Christian, I never read a book. And that's just to, to the best of my knowledge. I might have read Dr. Seuss or something. I have no idea. But I never read. High school, book reports, one page in the beginning, one page at the middle, one page at the end. BS your way through it. That's just how you do it. That's how you do it. All right? But when God saved me, this is crazy. When God saved me, I became a voracious reader. I, can't, I love to read now. I can't get enough of it. And literally, as soon as I became a Christian, God kind of gave me this desire. This is a work of the Spirit. But listen, but in my natural tendencies, so that work of the Spirit combined with my natural tendencies, I tend to equate learning with gaining intellectual knowledge. Oh, I know I'm a learner. I know I'm a disciple. How do you know? Look at the book I just read. Ask me a question. I love to give you an answer. It is tempting for me to solely equate learning with reading. Jesus did give us a book, didn't he? Well, God gave us a whole lot more. He gave us his very son filled with stories and not just true, false answers or you know, multiple choice answers that we can just memorize the test and ace it on judgment day. He gave us a person. He gave us his son. He gave us his spirit. Learning is so much more than that. Being a learner includes, now this is what I'm talking about. I don't want to create like this false dichotomy here, right? Being a learner does include gaining knowledge. It is included in that, but it's also much, much more than that. Jesus teaches us, and listen, this is a statement that people could argue with. Jesus shows us the only way to make disciples the only way. Because we're technologically advanced doesn't mean we can reinvent the wheel. Doesn't mean we can reinvent discipleship. I believe the church has today reinvented discipleship. If we want to know how to make disciples, how to make how to be a learner, we need to go back and look how did Jesus do it? Jesus believed the best way to make a disciple, easiest way to say it, was on the job training. He did not Take his, go pick his 12 disciples and go, okay, you guys are starting seminary today. Every morning, 8 a.m., right here. Bring the Old Testament, bring your journal. We're going to talk. He said what? Come, follow me. And Jesus went out and he taught them on the way. He taught them as they were going. He trained them on the job. Now listen, some of you might... It depends on who, what type of person you are. I think there's kind of two different types of people, you know, big picture. You get a new job. They give you the employee manual. There's two types of people. There's the person who's like, oh, my goodness, this is the employee. And you're going through that thing. And the other person's like, ah, I'm pretty sure they're going to teach me everything I need to know. Throw that baby in the back seat. Let's just learn first day of the job. Where are we at? Tell me what to do. Right? Jesus... 
when he made, went about making disciples, he used on-the-job training. That's how he did it. So when we were building this church, when we were praying about it and dreaming about it and saying, what does God want for Sacred City Church? We said, we're going to be different by, by design. We're going to build ourselves around this type of model. So we came up with this statement. The only way to make disciples is, see if anybody knows it, in community and on mission. The only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. That's not because of some theological treaties I wrote. That's because that's the way Jesus did it. And when he says, go make disciples to his disciples, he's saying, go do exactly what I did with you. Choose people. Say, come follow me. Live together, eat together, walk together, talk together, fail together, confront each other, pray for each other, pray with each other, preach together, minister to the poor together, meet needs together, live life together, make tents, work together, live a normal life with gospel intentionality together. So that's what we try to do. So I'm going to show you this. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture. And I'm going to give you um, some kind of details and, and, of what this is supposed to look like. And what I believe and what we believe, being convinced by Scripture, what a true church, what the church of the living God, what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. When you're there, say there. Whoops. Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, stop. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, but by extension, he's writing to you right now. And he's saying, I don't know what that is, AJ. He's saying, I want you to walk this way. There's a song about that. I want you to walk this way. What way, Paul? It's on my mic here. <clears throat> what way, Paul? This is what he says, verse 2. Look, this is what the Christian walk looks like. This is what the life led by the Spirit looks like. This is what a Christian looks like. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with each other in love. Okay, so let's just, these four big pictures Paul says. I'm going to ask you this question. We got humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Paul's saying, if there's four things that I want to characterize your walk, this is what it looks like. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. How many of you, in your experience, can you learn or have you learned humility in a classroom? How many of you have learned about gentleness in Sunday school? Did any of you take Patience 101 in college? Anybody major in love by chance? Throw it out there. I don't know. We do have some funny majors these days. But Paul tells us, now listen, this is crucial. Paul tells us 
that is how you are called to live. You are called to walk. This is a big problem, guys. And I believe it's a big problem with the model of church that we've adopted in the past 50 years. 60, 70 years, probably. Where people come, a preacher tells them what to do, or tells them something, and they just leave. And there's no real life on life walking together throughout the week in community and on mission. Because you can't teach humility in a sermon. (laughs) Because when you need humility is when you're in Walmart and you're standing in line, right? And the person has 27 things in the under 20 line. That's when you need patience. And you don't hear Justin's sermon when you're in line. You hear, I have rights. And I'm, I'm counting all the... You, listen, stop counting her grapes. Her grapes are all one thing, okay? You little legalist. We need patience in the workplace. We need patience and gentleness in the fam, at the family reunion. We need these things to work and function in real life. Not when we're taking a theological quiz or something. So, as learners, like the Spirit of God is doing a work in us, we should naturally ask, well, how do we learn that? If it doesn't come just from hearing a sermon, Justin, if it doesn't come from Bible study and Bible, you know, in Bible school and seminary, how do we learn those things, Justin or Paul? That's what learners do. We ask a lot of questions. My daughter, she's two. She asks approximately six million questions a day. Why? She's a learner. God built her that way. Right? It's all she does is ask questions. If you teach her down, down in the... Kids, I apologize. Her favorite word is, why, daddy? Right? Or why, period. So, walk this way. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Okay, how? Paul's about to show us. We're going to read a lot of scripture here, so I want you to stay with us. Verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called for the one hope that belongs to your call. Look, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over and who is over all and through all and in all. Stop. What does Paul just do here? For those extroverts, you need to see this. Because extroverts can tend to selectively hear what I'm saying and saying, yes, we need to spend more time with people. Been telling them we need to throw parties more often. But Paul is not dismissing studying. He is not dismissing intellectual learning. What we see right here is he says, this is what you need to do. You need humility, you need patience, you need gentleness, you need love. Boom, heavy theology. He drops a theology bomb right in the middle of his his conversation. And then he's going to build out the implications of that afterwards. So he's showing us you need good theology to build your life on. But it can't just be intellectual knowledge. All right? This is what he says. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Please say, I want you to say each one of us right now. Say it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Not to the, according to the measure of your talent. Not to the, according to the measure of your goodness or of your righteousness. You were given a gift according to the measure of Christ. Christ gives gifts to his body. I want you to look to the person next to you and say, you have been given a gift. All right. Verse 8. Therefore, because you've been given a gift, it says, when he ascended on high, Jesus Christ, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's what Jesus does. He's so gracious to us. He doesn't just save us. He gives gifts to us. Verse 9, theology. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, right here. And he gave the apostles, call this the fivefold ministry gift, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, apostles. What are apostles? Apostles are people who like to start things. There's the big A apostle, like the apostle Paul. There's no more of those. But there's little A apostles who like to start things. Maybe you're entrepreneurial. Maybe you, you're, you're the guy who wants to go out and, and reach new mission fields and, and do new creative things and, 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 and maybe build new expressions of the gospel in, in indigenous cultures. Maybe that's what you like to do. That's an apostle. Then there's the prophet. That's... I mean, I have, that's my gifting. I, I am mainly, I have a little bit of the apostle, I think, but I'm mainly a prophet. I like to speak truth. I'm a direct guy. I'm a truth guy. Um, that's uh, how I'm wired and how I'm built. All right? There's also uh, teachers or evangelists. Evangelists, those guys go out and they like to reach new people groups as well. Uh, they're sharing their faith all the time. That's just how they're naturally wired and gifted. Shepherds. Aww. You know who you are. You're probably an intuitive feeler on the Myers-Briggs. You are a gentle person. You are a softer person. You are a person who likes to walk with hurting people. Uh, you like to bring healing. Uh, in, the, in the professional world, maybe you're a doctor, that type of thing. That, that's, that's a shepherding gift. Okay? And there's, uh, lastly, the fifth is a teacher. All right? I think we have a pretty good handle on what a teacher is. Now, listen. Here's the thing. These are gifts that God has given to his church. In this regard, where he's talking about gifts that serve the big body, the body of Christ here. I'm guessing there's a few of you in this room, but listen, most of you right now are like, check out. Apostles, nope. Prophet, nope. Shepherd, nope. Evangelist, nope. Teacher, nope. Right? The fivefold ministry gifts, some of you are called to that. Some of you are called to that. Some of you are gifted in those ways, but many of you are not. So what's the point? Now listen, read this right here. What is the fivefold meant to do? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, a saint, some of you are like, whoo, that's not me either. Right? <laughs> No, that is, if you are forgiven, if you have been washed in the blood of Christ, or you are in Christ now, you are a saint. A saint is a forgiven sinner, okay? If you have a Catholic idea of what a saint is, that is not what a saint is, all right? The little bobblehead guy that sits on your dashboard, that is not a saint that you pray to, that is, that is not a saint. A saint is a forgiven sinner. So I want you to hear this. My job as a prophet, as an apostle, my job is to train up the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry, my job, not just to teach you to go whatever you want to do. 
like Jesus said in the Great Commission, to teach you to observe all, to teach you to obey, to teach you to live the Christian life, to teach you to use your gifts for the body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. The majority of churches in the world that we've adopted, see, before 1900, the majority of churches were under 100 people. So the full, all the gifts that, the, that God gives to his church could function easy. You have the gift of gentleness, you have the gift of serving, you have the gift of hospitality. In a church under 100, that operates really well. You make dinners for people when they're sick, right? Somebody has a baby, you go provide dinner, you provide dinners for them, maybe you go clean their house for them. Uh, maybe you take their kids along, uh, what, uh, you know, uh, let them have a night alone, whatever. In smaller churches, this works, works really well. But around 1900, we started getting this thing where we started building these big buildings and, and these bigger churches. And then what happened is we get these huge now, these huge mega churches where functionally, you, no one except the five-fold ministers, no one can use their gifts. You walk into a service on Sunday morning, and if you have the gift of, gift of hospitality, what do you do? pass out bulletins? You know, there's nothing that stirs my soul more than to pass out a bulletin. Right? But I know pastors have to pump you up and say, you, you know, you look them in the face and you greet them and maybe they're going to get saved later that day. I know they have to do all that weird stuff to pump you up to go park cars. I get it. Paul had something different in mind. And I want you to see it in Scripture here. Let's keep reading. For building up the body of Christ. That's the point. You've been given a gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've been given a gift to build up the body. I know it's awkward, but I'm making you do it, okay? Until, when can I stop using that gift? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. (laughs) When can you stop? When everybody looks like Jesus. Good luck with that. (laughs) So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He doesn't want us to be wishy-washy. He wants us to know the truth by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him, that's Jesus, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Look, 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 look. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, I'm going to press you right here. I bet if you've grown up in church, put that scripture back on there. You don't believe that scripture. If you've grown up in church, that last verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I bet you don't believe that. I bet you believe you're not needed by this church. The church goes on when I'm not there. It's not a big deal if I miss. The pastor does the work. I just sit there. Make him feel good because there's actually people listening this week. Scripture says, you 
are the body of Christ. We're all together. I'm not above you in any way. We are all the body of Christ together. And when we all function in our gifts, the body builds itself up in love and we become more like Christ. So how does this happen, Justin? God has given gifts to his church. God has given gifts to you. The gift of hospitality or the gift of gentleness or the gift of um, mercy is is no less than the gift of prophecy. Where do you use your gifts? The reality is the majority of you will never preach a sermon or teach a theology class. And that's okay. But your gifts are just as needed to the church. And if Sunday morning, let's say this, if Sunday morning is the extent to which you're involved in the body of Christ, very rarely will you ever use any of the gifts that God has given you. And the church will be worse off because of it. We will miss out because you're not using your gift. The body will miss out because you're not using your gift. And maybe in the city you might miss out too. Um, Doc, I was telling him, we went, hit some golf balls in the 150 degree heat this week. Very pleasant. Um, and I, I told Doc, I said, I think, I think you have a, the gift of mercy. I said, Doc, I think you have the gift of mercy. Um, I know, or I think that, because I do not have the gift of mercy. But when I hang out with Doc, and I see how he gives mercy to people, it does two things. Number one, it says, wow. I, I watch how the person that gets mercy is ministered to that. And the person gets to receive from Doc's gift. As Doc gives them mercy, they get to receive from it. But then me, as I rub shoulders and I'm with Doc in community and on mission, I I get to learn. I get to see his gift in action and say, oh. And we talked about it. How do you do that? I'm good at mercy twice. I got two mercy cards. When they're used up, they're gone. How do you keep doing that over and over? It's a gift. He's been given. And he gets to use it. Not on, Very rarely does he get to use it on Sunday morning. Maybe you go serve the kids. Yeah, you need some mercy, okay? You need patience. You go down there, you need them. But very rarely will the body see it on a Sunday morning. So Paul, right here, Paul is saying this. Basic, I want you to grow up. Grow up. But listen, don't hear that as condemnation. He says like this. Grow up. Be humble, patient, gentle, love, but grow up like this. I want you to do it, but this is how you do it. This is a proactive, ongoing, interactive, experiential type of knowledge that leads to humility, gentleness, and patience. And I'm going to just say it like this. Growth in God comes in community. Growth in God comes in inside, tight, close, human community. Now, for all the introverts in the room, right, 
I do not naturally welcome this. I was not sitting in my prayer closet one day praying, hmm, how could I torture myself and surround myself with more people? My flat, my flesh and my natural temperament resists. You hear that? Resists true biblical community. My flesh does. Because when you get close to people, not only do you see their sin and then have to offer mercy, but they see your sin and you have to receive mercy. I don't want people to see my sins and see my weaknesses that will prove to them that I really am still a sinner and still in need of constant grace. We don't want to do that. Many of, many of you might even somewhere, kind of like college, you, you don't sit in class to learn from somebody who doesn't understand. You want to go to an expert, right? So many times we come on Sunday morning, just let the expert teach us how to live a Christian life. It's not how it is. There's one expert at living this life, and that's Jesus Christ. So, here's the the trick, though. But when I don't let people see my weaknesses, when I don't let people see my sins and see my failures, I don't let them love me. I don't believe you can really love someone until they need grace from you. I'm going to say that again. I don't believe you can truly love someone until they need grace from you. Right? When you're loving your wife, everything's golden. I mean, you're, in, you're on your honeymoon. Everything is just rainbows and butterflies, right? I love this woman. Mm-hmm, we're going to find out. <laughs> on the flight home, we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. You can't really love someone until they need grace from you. So this is why Sacred City looks a little different. It looks a lot different if you're in it. It looks a lot different from many churches across our city. I'm not saying we're right and they're wrong at all. I'm not saying that at all. It's foolish. It's foolish to say something like that. I'm saying we've been convicted from Scripture that our churches have adopted many of the cultural um, characteristics of business and that's not from scripture, it's from business. And we, we have this idea of what success is. Success is more people in the door and more tithes in the bucket. So I'm going to market this church to get that. That is not discipleship. I had a pastor say to my face, the end of their discipleship plan was givers. He said, so, so a disciple is a giver? Yes. The only problem with that is the Bible. That would make me feel really good to have a nice cushy salary, to have a lot of money coming in and a lot of people to preach to. My flesh would love it. Problem is what Jesus says, teach them to observe. Discipleship comes in community and on mission. We believe that the Bible teaches you cannot make a disciple outside of community and mission. So when we structured and we started building Sacred City through a lot of prayer, we we built this different by design. And I want to, Adam, if you could pull up um, kind of our, just this little diagram that I've got. And if you've got, uh, we handed these out at the beginning of our series. We've got more of them in the back. This, and we also have a devotional book that goes along with it. 
um, the last page of the book, the last page of our, we call it a prospectus. Um, this diagram is here and some of the things that we do. And I just wanted to, to talk about, talk a little bit about what makes us different. And I hope this thing doesn't blow up when I get close to the speaker, AJ. I don't know if it will. Many churches believe this is the deal. This is winning. This is the main thing that needs to happen is Sunday morning. Get more people to Sunday morning and you'll make disciples. We don't believe that. We believe that missional community, this is what we structure our whole church around. Intimate, life-on-life community relationships that are on mission together. They meet weekly in homes. They pray together. They eat together. They love each other. They serve with each other. They're on mission at least once a month to a nonprofit area in the city. Every one of them are serving a people in a place. We want this to be the main entry, entryway into our church. We want this to be the front door. People come into our church and they're like, ooh, this feels different when they come in through missional community. Many of us that come in through Sunday morning, when we hear the word missional community, we automatically say, oh, that's a small group. That's for like, if I want to be like an advanced Christian, then I do that. <laughs> but I just want to be a normal Christian, so I'm just going to do this. Okay? That's not reality. That's not what the Bible teaches. No one knows. Let's just, right? Like, our culture loves community. Why do shows like Cheers and, and Friends and, and all these shows, why do they take off? Because they're all about relationships. You don't build that on Sunday morning. Shake your hand. How you doing? Fine. Blessed. <laughs> this is where we realize who you really are. We don't just get, it's not just a one day a week thing. Out of missional communities come what we call fight clubs. We develop these three on three or four on four or two on two, guys only, girls only, more intimate discipleship groups where they go through books together, they study things together, they pray things together, they fight the fight of faith together. They're really known by these two or three people. They form organically out of missional communities. So they meet during the week during that. They have parties. They serve each other. Somebody gets sick. They take care of them. Somebody needs money. They take care of them. They live the Christian life together. So much of this thinking of Christianity is trying to isolate, isolate ourselves from the needs of people. When I come on Sunday, I don't realize how broken people are. I don't realize how their marriages are struggling. I don't realize how they need something from me. I like coming here and building an 18-foot privacy fence around my house. I like that. But we say that is not biblical Christianity. That is not gospel-centered Christianity. We need true community. We need to be known and to know others. And our desire isn't to pull people from other churches into this model. Our desire is to pull people from the city, to pull people from everyday life, people that are disconnected from Christ and disconnected from God. We want to have a beer with them. We want to have a cigar with them. We want to have a cup of coffee with them. We want to have dinner with them. We want to uh, have a break with them in the break room and, and live our life so in a normal, gospel-centered way where we can invite them now to come see what true community looks like, what the gospel really looks like when people live in it, people believe it, 
when they forgive each other graciously and they walk humbly and they, they're gentle towards one another and they're patient with, patient with one another, what does love really look like when it gets messy, when it hits the fan? What does love look like? That's where Christianity shines. Christianity doesn't shine in a consumeristic, rock it out on Sunday morning culture. Christianity has expanded the most during persecution. Why? Because it grows in the soil of pain, of hurt, of real life, of messiness. That's where the gospel grows best. So we desire to pull people from the city into our missional communities to begin living life with gospel intentionality together on mission. Then they come on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, the main thing for Sunday morning is teaching, is theological development through our liturgy, is the sacraments that we take place, baptism and communion. It's the main thing of Sunday morning. It's a gathering of missional communities. And then we want to send people out from our Sundays and from our missional communities back into the city as missionaries. Back into their job, back into the culture as missionaries, equipped not to be afraid of the culture. I can't let my kid watch Harry Potter. Lord have mercy. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And Harry Potter is phenomenal, okay? <laughs> Read a book. <laughs> All right. Send them back out on mission. Send them back out on mission into the community. So listen, this is what we do. Everything in, in our church is built around this right here. Three things. Everyday life, we call them missional rhythms. We're going to talk about those in the next two weeks. Missional communities and Sunday morning. That's all we do. Now, under those, there's a few things. I've already talked about it. Missional communities is the main entry point into our church life. It's intentionally sharing life together in spiritual formation. It's working out our gospel identities and rhythms. It's engaging culture together, a people and a place. Our Sunday morning gathering is a gathering of missional communities, emphasis on Jesus, his gospel, and his mission. And our liturgy shapes our theological formation. And then we do one other thing. We do what we call leadership development. And this is... You're a learner. Christ has made you into a learner. Keep learning. So how do you do that? Well, how did Jesus do it? He didn't just have a... All right, any leaders? We're going to have Leadership 101 tomorrow. Here's the book. Go read it. Now be a leader. Jesus did it. Hands-on training, walking, getting their feet dirty, walking, failing, serving, ministering, using their gifts together. So this is how we do it. We've got life-on-life, gospel-centered discipleship that's in community and on mission through, through uh, missional communities and fight clubs. Um, we're going to have missional church membership. After this series is over, we will have a class, and you, become, you can become a member of Sacred City Church. Um, then we have this third thing, and now this is what I want to talk about. Um, we have what we call, it's called Porterbrook Theological Training. Porterbrook Theological Training. And it is a two-year program that... It's not like seminary, but it is, okay? It's got a different model. It's a community-based model where you live life. You go uh, once a quarter to Omaha for a day of seminars. You get the intellectual training. You get the challenging that way. But then every week you read a chapter in the, in the study, and you meet with a cohort of either men or women, and you challenge each other. You apply the gospel to each other. You live life in community and on mission together. We've got many men who went through it the past either year or two, 
and we've seen amazing fruit from it. I want to show this little video here real quick for Porterbrook. For the first time, we are offering this and opening this up to women as well. So maybe you're, you could be a stay-at-home mom and you just want to be pressed deeper into the gospel and you want a better theological understanding. Maybe you feel called to be an elder. Maybe you feel called to be a deacon and you believe this could be the next step. Maybe you feel called to be a missional community leader or a fight club leader. This could be the next step for you. Okay, I, I want to say if you're in a missional community, if you're in a fight club, that this very well might be the next step for you. It's, it's a phenomenal a program. It really is. So let's, let's play the video here real quick. Go ahead, Adam. My natural tendency dealing with my own sin uh, causes me to be uh, kind of isolated. Uh, I, I go introverted or I go introspective uh, about it and, and try to process it out alone, uh, which is uh, anti-community. And, and the goodness of Porterbrook is that there are good, godly individuals that you meet with on a regular basis who not only help you see um, where you're at with Jesus, maybe from a different perspective um, than where you're at right now, uh, but they they help to encourage you um, uh, towards finding the grace uh, in Jesus. It really gives definition to creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Those are grids that can you can really look at any area of scripture and help to see how sin has affected us and how uh, the law exists to point us to a greater need in Jesus Christ. Another specific area is the idea of holiness. I never have seen it in the way that Porterbrook help un- helps unpack and define. Um, for me, holiness has always been something that God had, uh, but never anything that I could help obtain. And so by uh, studying some of the Porterbrook material, I saw how functionally I can pursue holiness on this side of eternity. I had an employee that recently, you know, lost his leg in a motorcycle accident and is bringing the gospel to that situation. I had one employee that went through a divorce and it was one of those issues where before Porterbrook I would never reach out in, in this aspect before, but I actually went to him and I said, hey, can I pray with you right now? And he was totally forward and shortly after that conversation, he said, you know, I think this is an area where God wants to work in my life. He goes, kind of engage with you more on that? asked for more questions and eventually ended up inviting him to our missional community. So it's been a way to go beyond what has been uh, comfortable for me and to take me out of my out of my comfort zone and to be used by the Holy Spirit to greater God's kingdom. Before Porterbrook I had a strong tendency to want to wanna get to the next place in sanctification. I wanted to get to the next place of am I just a small group leader? Am I a missional community leader? Am I a deacon? Am I an elder? And I wanted those things for very selfish reasons. Um, Porterbrook really forced me to look at my heart and my motivations for, for why I desired those things because um, the reality of my heart is it's simple and I wanted those things for selfish reasons. I wanted those things for my own namesake and my own glory um, apart from God. So Porterbrook really forced me to, to ask some hard questions about why I want what I want and, and God uh, graciously revealed those reasons to me as being selfish um, and freed me to see that what I, what I truly want is relationship with Him. We have, I've, I've posted um, on the city last night a link to the Porterbrook. You can find out a lot more information. You can read more testimonies. You can watch more videos. There's a lot of information on there. Here's the thing. If you're feeling like maybe this is for you, you can come talk to me about it. If you want more information, or you can check it out there, porterbrookomaha.com. Sign up, and registration is due by August 1st. All right? 
This program is very affordable. It's only 600 bucks for the entire year. Um, it's, it's just an awesome program. I, I graduated from it. I, went two, I did the whole two-year program. Joel did the two-year program. We've got several people that are starting the second year. Um, and I'm praying that God would call men and women to do this. Maybe you just want to serve your family better. Maybe you want to understand the gospel better. Maybe you want to understand how to read your Bible better. Maybe you want, and this is what I'm praying, that God would raise up missionaries. Some of you are called to ministry, but you could maybe never do it on a big scale. Maybe you're called to go somewhere else. Maybe you're called to be a missionary. Maybe in your culture, maybe in Africa, maybe in India, maybe, I don't know where, but I'm, I'm praying that as a, we're a sending church, that God would raise up missionaries to send them out to other parts of the world. And Porterbrook is a great training and testing ground for that. So you can check it out in the city, check it out in the back. You can talk to me afterwards if you want. Um, <clears throat> as I close today, God calls us to know him. But the only way we can do that, as learners, the only way we can do that is by looking to Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus shows us that we are so sinful and dirty that he had to die to cleanse us from our sins. But he also shows us that we are so loved that he willingly paid the price and died that death in order for us to know God intimately. We're so bad he had to die. We're so loved, he did it willingly. So I want to ask you again, do you want to know God? Do you want to know him? Do you have a desire to know him deeper than you do right now? If you do, I'm asking you to join us. Join us in community. Join us on mission to the cities. Come on Sundays, yes. But what's the next step for you? Should, you? should you talk to someone about joining a fight club? Should you talk to someone about joining a missional community? Should you take the jump and, and sacrifice something in your schedule to make it happen? I know we're busy. Or is, is God calling you into Porterbrook theological education? Is he calling you to be on mission in that way? I want you to, to ask God that. Because this is one, one of the identities that God has given us. He's made us into learners who are constantly growing in our relationship with him, constantly seeking him, and he's constantly giving us more and more grace. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son that shows us what a learner looks like. Boggles my mind that scripture says that Jesus grew in height and in wisdom and in favor with both God and men. Jesus, you are a learner. God become flesh, but you still learned what it meant to be a human. You still walked in an intimate relationship with the Father. I ask that you would draw people to salvation this morning, that you would stir up our heart to be a learner, stir up our heart to know you, stir up the desires in us. I ask that you would do that for your glory. And as we come to the communion table today, that you would wash us, that you would cleanse us, that we would repent and turn from our idolatry, turn from our sins, turn from our weak desires of you. We would turn from those. 
that we would embrace by faith Jesus Christ, our salvation, by grace through faith in Christ. Father, communicate that grace to us through the supper, through your body that was broken for us, through your blood that was shed for us. Communicate that grace to us this morning. I pray that we do this in a worthy manner, introspective, in in repentant hearts, embracing by faith the gift that you've offered us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.